right. Well, praise God. It's good to um, have you with us again this evening. Welcome to class number 32. And uh, we are excited about it for sure. And um, got a good group in the room. Should have some more folks joining us. And welcome to everyone joining us online. And I appreciate all the feedback I've been getting from the uh, online uh, attendees. And uh, this, of course, is 32 of... Uh, 36 classes, so we are, uh, about this time I start feeling a little bit of the pressure, you know, as far as, okay, we, we, we never have time to say everything, so let's make sure we say the things that we need to get, get said, and so one of the things I did today was work on the next three or four classes, um, probably next three classes at least, uh, just making sure we've, um, we're getting the, the stuff in, in the lineup that we want to uh, make sure we have time to present to everyone. So, and I'm excited. I, I, I will tell you this: COVID. We still did discipleship class during the COVID years. Although I was just just me in here with a um, a, a few people and uh, a camera. Uh, but amen. But then we moved the end of because that was March, obviously, of 2020 when everything shut down. And so what we did. For Wednesday night service here at Heritage, as we just finished discipleship class during the normal Wednesday night service time, and so then I don't know what happened to us last year, but anyway, I'm, I'm just being silly. Uh, but you guys, man, we we have covered some ground. We're we're going to go further into the notes this year, uh, year 19, than we have probably in four years. Uh, so I'm I'm excited about that, but. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll, we'll get to it. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the life. Thank you for the light that we have. Jesus, you are the light of the world. In you there is no darkness nor shadow of turning. And I thank you, Father, that light is the ability to see. And so, Lord, I thank you that because Jesus is our light and our life, Lord, that you are opening our eyes to see things, Lord, that will make an eternal difference Lord, in our lives and in the lives of those that you've called us to serve, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for their extreme commitment, Father, uh, to knowing the truth, to being equipped by you to be more effective in knowing you, loving you, living for you, and doing what you've called us to do. So we thank you again for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity that's before us. Thank you for supernatural strength and focus, Lord, to hear and receive your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen, amen, amen. All right, so one more time, class number 32. We're going to talk about understanding the new birth, part five. And we'll get to more than this tonight. Hopefully we'll get to more than this tonight. But we're going to begin uh, a section that I simply call salvation terminology. And by salvation terminology, we're talking about different key Bible words that go to defining and explaining and revealing, you know, what it means to be saved, what it means to be born again. And um, words that you probably are going to be familiar with if you've spent much time in the Scriptures, but uh, maybe have never really understood the, the meaning of those particular words. So um, real quick, last week we talked about identifying with the completed work of Jesus. And we said that fell into five uh, key areas, His sinless life, His death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension to the throne of the universe. And we said that what he did for us, he also did as us. 
Um, there was a young man, uh, he's not here tonight, but there was a young man who came up to me after class, who's been class, I don't know, eight or nine weeks in a row, has been to class. And um, he asked if he could get saved. And I smiled, but I thought you were. He's like, nope, never have been, but I'm ready to be. So, uh, so right after class, just right there, standing right there, receive Jesus. And we said last week that, that to, to be born again means to be born from spiritual death, that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, and he is the firstborn among many brethren. And so to be, to be born again or to receive salvation is to accept for yourself, to receive for yourself what Jesus has done for you, his completed work. And then discipleship is learning how to identify with that where you begin to see yourself now in light of what all that Jesus has done for you now means to you. <clears throat> We've spoken to this uh, a time or two throughout the past 30-some-odd classes, but let's, let's go back to it one more time. We have the four Gospels, and those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us what Jesus did for us. And, of course, those four Gospels, those four um, uh, accounts also record for us what uh, Jesus taught, the things that he revealed. And while all of that is priceless, the, 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 there's no way to even begin to you know, describe how important those four Gospels are, there's a lot that we take for granted that we would have never known, that we'd have never understood apart from the epistles and so we have the four Gospels, then we have the book of Acts, which contains the historical account, account of the, you know, the early followers of Jesus taking the Gospel to, the, to their world uh, in regions there around Jerusalem. And then we go to the book of Romans, and we see that Romans is an epistle. That means letter. It was a letter written to the church at Rome. Uh, and then, of course, you know, First and Second Corinthians, there was a church at Corinth, and Paul wrote letters to the Corinthians. And the reason I'm pointing that out to you, because I think most, if not everyone, already understood that part, is that it's the epistles, it's the epistles that we discover not what Jesus did, but what it means to us, why he did it, and what it means to us. So let me, I probably spent too much time here already, but let me just, again, real quick, like, the four Gospels tell us what he did, the epistles tell us why he did it, and what it means to you and me. The, the impact that it's had on our lives, the, the difference that it has uh, made in our lives. And so I said we take these things for granted, uh, but if the Bible ended uh, with the Gospel of John, there would be a lot of things that we would not have understood. So, for instance, in John chapter 3, Jesus talks about being born again, but it's later in the epistles that we have more explained to us about it. And this dovetails with what Jesus said anyway. He said, that I've got a lot more things to tell you, but you're not ready to receive them yet. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He will be the Spirit of truth, and He will lead you and guide you in all truth. So it's things that Jesus introduced, I guess we could say it that way, things that certainly tie back into what He taught us and what He revealed to us, but are expounded upon and explained to us in much, much greater detail in the portion of the Scriptures known as the epistles. All right, So... His sinless life, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension to the throne of uh, the universe. And the Bible says that we were crucified with him, we were buried with him, we were raised up together with him to newness of life, and that we are now seated together with him positionally in heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, 
dominion and every name that is named. Amen. All right. So let's um, let's get right to these um, four levels of salvation terminology. So I'm not I'm not just going to talk about the the terms, but I want you to understand them as one being built upon another, making way for the next, and ultimately leading to the fourth and final one. All right. So the first word that I want to draw your attention to is this word propitiation, right? Propitiation. And I'll put it up on the screen uh, so that, you know, those of you who take notes and maybe looking for the spelling on that, if you've ever heard someone say propitiation, they're not saying it incorrectly. It's one of those words that can be, be pronounced um, uh, two different ways. I tend to hit the, that first T kind of hard, propitiation. Uh, but most importantly, what does this word mean? And propitiation means to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. To appease the wrath of God on account of sin. So we all sinned, and because we all sinned, we were all condemned. John, the third chapter, doesn't end at the 16th verse. It goes on to explain that Jesus did not come to this world to condemn this world, but he came to a world that was already condemned to provide a means of escape, right? And he goes on to say that this is now the condemnation, that light has come, but men have chosen darkness over the light, all right? So we were all doomed. I've got that last verse in John 3 here in my notes, just a little bit down from here. Um, but it says that if you have not believed on Jesus, that the wrath of God still abides on you. And that's one of the things that I don't think I emphasized maybe enough last week that I want to make sure I point out this week. While Jesus lived a sinless life for everyone, and while he uh, died on the cross for everyone, and was buried for everyone, and was raised for everyone, and ascended for everyone, that does not mean that everyone is saved. And there are a lot of people who are preaching and teaching that today. And, um, and I'm not here to pick a fight with anybody or, or make anybody mad or, or what have you. But that, that simply does not uh, line up with Scripture. Jesus made it very clear. Jesus made it very clear. If you hear and believe, then you'll be saved. If you do not believe, then you will be damned. You will be condemned. That's not, that's not Pastor Mark talking. That's not you know, some denominational talk. That's Jesus himself, the head of the church, who said these things. So, and I know there's a lot of questions that that raises, and I'm not, again, trying to stir anybody up. But I want to make it clear that while Jesus did it for you, you still have to receive it for yourself in order to receive salvation, in order to be born again. Even folks who died, you know, in you know what we would, what the Bible refers to as the righteous dead, uh, people like Moses, Abraham, so forth and so on, um, that. Jesus went and preached the gospel to them in Abraham's bosom. And this is what we see on uh, that first resurrection morning was, I didn't intend to talk about this right now, so pardon me for not having all the verses to put in front of your eyes. But if you read the gospel of Matthew very carefully, you will see that there were people who had been dead for years that were seen alive and well walking the streets of Jerusalem that first resurrection Easter morning. Now, I don't believe they stayed here because the Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus went and those who had been taken captive, that he led them out, amen, and set them free. And we've already talked about the three heavens and how paradise has now been relocated to the third heaven. It's no longer Abraham's bosom and different 
ideas about that. I'm not, again, trying to pick a fight with anybody. If, you, if something is scriptural, you need some scripture. Amen? And so I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. And there are people who have theories that are interesting to me that I'm not going to speak out loud to you because they're theories. And I'm not here to give you theories. I'm here to tell you what the Bible says. Amen? Yeah. All right. Okay. So the word propitiation, to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. Let me show it to you in a couple of places in Scripture. First um, John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. For the whole world. Now, there's a theme uh, for this evening's class that I'm going to repeat more than once. And that theme is Jesus, one sacrifice for all sin, for all time. Jesus... One sacrifice for all sin for all time. One more time. Jesus, one sacrifice for all sin for all time. Compared to what? Compared to the old sacrificial system, which was a lamb offered for the sin that had been committed up until the point that that lamb was offered. Any sin committed after that animal sacrifice was made needed another sacrifice. And then any sin that was committed after that sacrifice needed another sacrifice because those sacrifices could never make the worshiper perfect, the book of Hebrews says, okay? Could never make us complete. It had to be repeated over and over and over again. If someone was to get born again this evening, okay, would Jesus have to jump off the throne, run back to Jerusalem, be crucified so that that man or woman's sin could be paid for? Absolutely not. His sin, I'm sorry, his sacrifice was payment for our sin. He became our sin. And, and his, his sacrifice, his payment for your sin, for my sin, was a complete and total payment. One sacrifice for all sin, for all time. Okay? So when it says he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world... Again, propitiation means to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. To appease the wrath of God on account of sin. And it's not just the sin of those who've been born again, but the sin for everyone, whosoever. That's why he can say, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because Jesus has already paid for all sin for all time. Remember, in order for the scales of justice to be balanced in our favor... Father God had to find someone who was more undeserving of punishment for sin than all of us together were deserving of it. And that only person to fit that bill was Jesus. And thank God he said yes. Amen? Okay. Now, here's the other thing. And, and I want you to look very closely at this. I, I can do my best to teach you this, but, but the only way you're ever going to really get it is if the Holy Spirit reveals it to you and opens your eyes to it. Okay? And, and I'll, again, I'll do my best, but I want you to see this now. It's very important. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us. Verse 2 says, And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. He is, not was, not will be, but is. If you read it tomorrow, what will it say? Is. is. 
Okay. Now, why is this important? Why is this significant? As we work our way through these different levels of salvation terminology, what you're going to see is that Jesus, for example, is our propitiation and that Jesus is our redemption. He is the price that was paid for our sin. Not was, not will be, but is. Now, why is that significant? Because Jesus always is and always will be. And because He is our propitiation, we will always have propitiation. Because He is our redemption and our justification and our reconciliation, we will always have propitiation, redemption, justification, and reconciliation. Again, I'm, this is... Amen. Let's go, back to, let's go back to something that we looked at in 1 Peter. Remember when he explained leading up to verse 23 where he said that that we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, uh, but of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, right? All right. And, and, but leading up to that, he said it, it wasn't gold and silver and perishable things that has purchased this wonderful gift of salvation for us, but it was none other than the blood of Jesus Himself, the, spot, the spotless blood of the Lamb that, that, that bought and paid for these things. So because our propitiation is a person, the eternal Son of God... Our propitiation, let's see if I can say it this way. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I don't think I've ever said it this way. Your propitiation will never expire. It's not like it's, it's only good, you know, for, you know, 20 years. Yeah. At the end of 20 years, you've got to re-up, right? You've know, you got you to figure out how to get you some more propitiation because this propitiation, you know, it's got, it's got a 20-year shelf life, right? You know no, see, our propitiation is the eternal Son of God. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews really gets into this in, in, in greater detail and in Jesus' name, we're going to get there, if not tonight, next week. But I believe we'll have time to get there tonight. Okay. So um, let's go, same First uh, John, let's go to chapter 4 now, verse 10. And he says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be the propitiation for our sins. Okay. Now, we talked about this a little bit in class at the Foundry on Tuesday, and that being the dilemma that Father God found himself in, because he is God and he is a just God, and we have sinned, and our sin must be punished, and if he just sweeps it under the rug as if it never happened, then he is not being a just God. And yet he doesn't want to punish us. He doesn't want us to, uh, to be punished, which, by the way, the wages of sin, the punishment for sin is death. And so how is God going to resolve um, this dilemma? He's going to satisfy his wrath by turning it upon himself. He's going to satisfy his wrath by turning it upon himself. So Jesus said, I will drink the bitter cup. I will absorb the wrath. I'm not trying to be silly when I say this, but, you know, he stepped in front of you and took the bullet from the firing squad that we deserved. And in the process made a way for you and for me and anybody else who calls upon the name of the Lord to be free from sin. So he satisfied his own wrath by turning it upon himself. 
Now, I mentioned this verse a minute ago, John chapter 3. Again, we're so familiar with verse 16. But verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides. One way that you could translate abides is it remains on the person who has not believed uh, in the Son, who has not received the gift of salvation that the Son paid such a high price to provide uh, freely for all those who believe on Him. Amen. So are are you seeing this? The wrath of God abides on Him. What if you do believe in Jesus? What if you have received this gift of salvation? The wrath of God no longer abides on you. Because Jesus absorbed it for you. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about. Man, there's stuff firing off inside of me right now. Let's, let's talk about Judgment Day one day, okay? Because we're, we're all going to stand before God and be judged. And if you read the Scriptures carefully, there are actually two different judgments. There is the, the Bema Seat and there is the, the White Throne Judgment, okay? And a lot of Christians don't understand why there are two and they don't understand that if they've been born again they're exempt they're exempt from let me see if i can say it this way if you're born again i'll simplify if you're born again you will be judged based upon what you did for god okay based upon what you did for god with what you were given okay Jesus made that clear for us. Uh, all men created equal is not a Bible verse. Now, just hear me. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about racism or anything like that. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, okay? Um, some folks have more financial resources than others. Some people have more intellectual resources than others. Some people are gifted in administration. Some people are gifted in teaching. Some people are gifted in giving. Did you know that generosity is a spiritual gift? And, and some people, hospitality, hospitality is, is a spiritual gift. Now, if you're, not a, if, you're, if you're not gifted in the area of hospitality, that doesn't give you a license to be rude. Because we, we should still open up our arms and doors and lives and, and whatever and to people and, and, and be hospitable. But it comes easier for some people than others. My, my, uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, strong gift of hospitality. Now, my father-in-law's in heaven. My mother-in-law's 87. And, uh, man, she, of course, we helped her, but she cooked dinner for how many people Sunday? I don't know. You know, I mean, and just loving it. I mean, just, just like, just, you know, just, just, you know, and other folks are like, oh, my gosh, if I had to cook that much food for all those people, I don't know what I would do. But, so it's a gift, right? So the idea then is you're not going to be judged based upon what somebody else did with what they were given. You will be judged and rewarded based upon what you did with what you were given because God's a just God, Right? Now, what you got to understand is this, and I hope we've made this clear, and we're going to keep on driving this home the last uh, few classes that we have together, is that your standing with God is not based upon what you do for God. Your standing with God, your righteousness, your right standing with God is based upon what God has done for you, what Jesus did for you as you. You were right not because of works that you've done or money that you've given or you've been good enough long enough. 
But you've been made the righteousness of God through, in Christ Jesus through the new birth. You've been made free from sin through the new birth. You've been made blessed through the new birth. You've been made whole through the new birth. You've been made physically healed through the new birth. Okay? So that standing with God has been established by something Jesus did for you as you. So your right standing with God is not based upon your works, but your reward in heaven one day will be. Are you, are you following me now? Okay. So when we talk about, um, let, me see if I, let me see if I can say it this way. If, if you are born again, you will not stand in line one day, and I don't know if you'd be standing in line anyway. I'm just using human terms now. You will not stand in line one day to see you know, Hollywood, you know, makes that like, you know, uh, St. Peter standing there with his big book looking for your name. Man, I've, you know, the guy sitting there terrorized, like, would you look one more time, please? You know, now, see, if, you, if you're born again, you don't even get in that line. That question's already been answered. Your sin's already been judged. The punishment's already been, uh, the sentence's already been handed out and the punishment's, the, the sentence's already been served. The punishment's already been, Given, right, for that. Are you, are you hearing me? Okay. All right. It's very important that we understand these things. Now, how good is it for the wrath of God not to be on you? Amen. That's, that's a good thing. Oh, it's a good thing. All right. Amen. Now, let's go to this next word. So we've looked at propitiation. Now let's go to redemption. This word redemption, probably heard it. I see there's, you know, uh, clothing lines that have that name on it and all this other stuff. Redemption. Okay, what does it mean? Redemption is a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. Redemption is a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. And out beside that definition, I have in parentheses the words prisoner or slave. Prisoner or slave. So... The debt was paid or the ransom was paid so that a prisoner or one who was enslaved could go free. So in the days where this was all being initially established and taught and written, there were no bankruptcy laws to protect someone. If you had debts that you couldn't pay, you and even your family could be sold as slaves to cover the debt. Okay? It wasn't like, man, I got in over my head, made some bad decisions. Y'all just, you know, let's bankruptcy and forget. No, in those days, there was none of that. Thank God we have that in this country today, okay? But there was none of that in their days. So we see that the scriptures speak of a kinsman redeemer. And the concept of a kinsman redeemer would be where someone more than likely related to you could step forward and pay your debt for you and secure your release from slavery. All right? You follow me? Now, here is a simple example that I put together years ago just to try to r relate this to you in, in, a, in a biblical sense as far as what redemption uh, means to, 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 to our experience, okay? So imagine for a minute that a man gets in tremendous debt 
due to a failure and mismanagement of his farming business. And he, is, he and his family are sold into slavery to help cover the debts. Right? His older brother uh, hears word of this and comes and redeems this man and his family. That's the, that's the right terminology. Redeems them, buying them out of slavery and paying their debts. Okay? You still with me? Now, because the same thing happened eight years earlier, this wasn't the first time that big brother came and bailed out little brother from his uh, poor business decisions. Because the same thing happened eight years earlier, and the older brother redeemed the man and his family at that time also, concerned that he would one day die and not be around to redeem his brother, sister-in-law, nieces, and nephews, should they ever become slaves again, the older brother devised a plan. You picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. So he went to every merchant. Again, use your imagination here. I know this sounds almost ridiculous, but just stay with me, okay? So the older brother did what? He went to every merchant. He went to every farmer's co-op, every John Deere dealership, every bank, every uh, uh, credit union. And he gave each a sum of money so great that it would be impossible for his younger brother to ever be in debt again. All right? That's, that's what Jesus did for us. He redeemed us so thoroughly the Bible refers to it, and we'll look at it in a moment, um, that we have received eternal redemption. It's in Hebrews 9. I'm fixing to show that verse to you, okay? But I'm, I'm trying to help you understand, first of all, what redemption is. It's when someone has become imprisoned or enslaved because of, of debts that they incurred, because of some money that they owed, because of some problem that they had. And when they're redeemed, it's when somebody else steps in and pays the price, Okay? So let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Um, are you getting warm in here? No? Okay. If you get warm, let me know. We, uh, we had the air on and it was getting cold. And Anyway, I want you to be comfortable. All right. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Y'all still with me? All right, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. It says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, okay, having obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, that's the old sacrificial system, right, where they would offer the, the goats and, and the bulls and, and burn the, their carcasses, and he says, if, if that was good enough for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So when he's talking about conscience, he's talking about something that's being done on the inside of you now. He's talking about a sacrifice that does more than remove the outward stain, but something that transforms us inwardly. He says, and for this reason, Jesus, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Okay? Now, there are some key words here, but the main ones that I want you to see is verse number 12. In reference to what Jesus has done for us, 
the, the price that He paid for us, that He now has become our eternal redemption. Eternally redeemed means that you cannot accrue a debt big enough to go back into slavery. Eternally purchased. Not purchased until you make your next mistake. And then we'll see. Eternal redemption. And because there is eternal redemption, we have now been given an eternal inheritance which includes eternal life. The life and nature of God without end in overflowing abundance. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, you know, there's those of you who've been to more than one of these classes, you know there's different, you know, ebb and flow. In some classes we, you know, get real excited. In other classes we just kind of, you know, chug on through, verse after verse, line upon line, line upon line. And that's what we're going to be doing tonight. So, But it's important that we see these things and understand these things because, again, what's the point? A lot of people have been born again, but very few people know what happened to them when they were. And we've already talked about what Jesus did. We've already talked about what happened. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit made new. Born again of a second, of, of a different seed. Incorruptible seed. A seed reproduced after their own kind. If the seed can't be corrupted and it abides forever, then the born again spirit that it produced inside of you cannot be corrupted and it also abides forever. We've covered all that. We're breaking all that down. But now we're, we're seeing what provides, you know, biblically speaking, you know, why Jesus did what he did and what it means to you and me. All right? So we've looked at propitiation, we've looked at redemption, now let's go to justification. Justification, okay? Um, all right, I got that on the screen, but let's, uh, if I could take it back, I would. I'm going to take it back, okay? Because I'm coming, I'm just, <laughs> say, make sure we make this point. And sometimes I get so carried away with this, I do not. But do you see how the, there's, there's an order to these? That first things first, we've got to satisfy the wrath of God, Okay? And Jesus did that for us, and He is our propitiation. Now that the wrath of God has been satisfied, what's next? We've got to pay the debt. And we've got to fix it so that the debt can never be enough to separate us from Father God ever again. Amen. Let me remind you one more time. The Bible says that He has forgiven you of your sins for His sake. We have a tendency to only think about what this has to do uh, with us and what this means to us and how this has affected us and how this has changed us and what this now means to me and what this now means for me without ever considering without ever considering what it means to God. Now, did He forgive you for your sake? Did He forgive you so that you could benefit from being forgiven? Did He set you free from sin, never to be enslaved to it again uh, so that you could enjoy? Uh, absolutely. But we can't lose sight of this that He loves you, He desires fellowship with you, He created you to be one with Him, and as long as there is sin in the way, His desires for you cannot be fulfilled. So when Jesus did what He did for you and me, He didn't just do it for you and me, He did it for His Father. And because of what He has done for you and me, Father can now treat you and me like our sin never happened. He can bless you and love you and reward you and be one with you and, and build mansions for you and uh, a home on the beach, a home in the mountains, a home in the city, in heaven, and, and just lavish His love and affection and, and goodness on you. Because that's lo He is love, right? He is love. 
You ever really, really love somebody and they wouldn't receive your love and you, or for whatever reason you, you couldn't express that love to them? It's, it's, it's not fun. And so he can now love you. It's not about what we deserve. Because of what Jesus did for us, we now are in a position for Father God to be able to do for us what he desires to do for us. You don't want what you deserve from God. You want what he desires for you. But sin, as long as sin was in the way, it made that impossible. How about this? How about on-again, off-again relationship? You ever had one of those? Father God is not interested in an on-again, off-again relationship with us. And if Jesus had not done for us what he did for us, that's all that, that, that we could have ever hoped for with him. As long as there's no sin, we're, we're okay. But the minute we sin, sin separates us from God. So it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. And Jesus says, you know what? I've got a covenant. I'm paraphrasing now from the Old Testament. And again, I don't have these verses in front of me, so please forgive me. But it's, it's the content of it more than the address of it. So just hear me. This is, this is God speaking out loud. He says this. He says, you know, I've got a covenant with my people that provide a relationship between me and my people like the one a herdsman has with his cattle and, and like a shepherd has with his sheep. He says, I long for the day when I'll have a covenant with my people that will create a relationship between me and my people that is no longer like that of a husbandman with his uh, cattle or his sheep, but one like a husband has with his wife. A covenant that will provide oneness with God. That'll take the two and make them one. Amen. And Jesus came and established that covenant relationship between you and God for you as you. He ratified that kind of covenant with God on your behalf using his own blood to forever seal it so that Father God now can have the kind of fellowship and oneness and union and communion with you that he's always longed to have. Amen. I'm getting stirred up. All right. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying here? Okay. What kind, of, what kind of relationship does, uh, you know, a shepherd have with his sheep? There's no intimacy there. There's no fellowship there. There's no camaraderie there. I mean, it, you know, it's like, don't go there, go there, turn here, don't do that. Told you not to do that, eat that. No, don't eat that. You've done that again. It's, again, it's very difficult for communication. Now, amen, he can speak directly to a still small voice. All right. Trying to help you understand the why. I think that's one of the reasons people so struggle with all this is, is you hear of this and you go, that's just, can't, I can't be right. God, God would have never done that for me. So you, you're trying to figure out whether you deserve it or not. And you're trying to figure out why he would do this, you know, for little old you. And you don't understand that he's doing it for big old him too. He wants you. He loves you. He doesn't want sin to ever come in between you and him again. And so he fixed it so it can't. Right? His seed abides in you. What's true about the one whose seed abides in, right? Cannot sin. Don't sin because you can't sin. Praise God. All right. Amen? You got a question. Bring it on. Okay, that's one way of looking at it. Sure. Okay. Um, 
so the first covenant was the law, right? It was the Old Testament. Yeah. And so how, what are we going to do about that? You know, so it's one thing. It's like, okay, we figured it out now, and we hadn't murdered anybody in a long time. You know, it's like, you know, but, okay, so what are we going to do about all the times that we did break the commandments and, and, and do wrong? So I like, I like to say it, and I think, I don't know how many of you were here when we were in Isaiah talking about the difference between a trespass, transgression, iniquities, these kinds of things. But a, a trespass is a sin, but it's like if you're a deer hunter and you shoot a deer on your property and track it to somebody else's, you know, every tree in the woods doesn't have a property line posted on it, you know what I'm saying? And so you could accidentally be on somebody else's property and not know it. You're still trespassing and you've still done wrong, but there's some, at least some uh, plausible deniability there, right? It was a mistake, okay? Compared to an iniquity, an iniquity is when you absolutely positively know what's wrong and you just do it anyway. I mean, you just, this is wrong, I know it's wrong. And I'm just, so, but again, you know, sin is sin according to the scriptures and it doesn't matter how severe we think it may be, but to make it clear, Jesus um, took our sin and our iniquities, our willful acts of rebellion and disobedience against him when we knew better and we did it anyway. He died for that sin, that type of sin, I guess we could say it. <laughs> As well. Wow. He's good to us like that. Amen? Okay. Now, so let's go back then to justification. Justification is to declare innocent, to acquit, to declare righteous. And the word justified could best be understood as just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's, that's justification. Now, the word justified and the word righteous are from the same word in the Greek. Okay? It's, so they, in essence, or at least in, in essence of the root word that they both come from, it are identical. So to be justified is to be righteous, and to be righteous is to be justified. So when we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, through that process of becoming, we have been justified. We have become as one who has never sinned. Now, let's, this keeps popping up in my spirit, and let me just say it now. We'll probably say it again later, but let's at least say it now, okay? John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. Taking away is different from covering over. When we said that Jesus was one sacrifice for all sin for all time, this is how He is able to not cover over the sin and appease the wrath of God. Let's go back to that animal sacrifice. See, God said the soul that sinneth shall die, except for God didn't want people who sinned to die. He wanted them to live because there is, there is children, and he, and he wants them to, to, to be blessed and to live long and to have prosperity and to be fruitful and all, all these other things, right? So this is what God did under the first covenant. He says, all right, you sinned, and you should die for that, but I'm going to let you bring an animal to me, and we're going to let that animal die in your place. And the blood of that animal is going to cover over the sin. 
and appease my wrath. But that was only temporary, right? It only covered the sin that was committed up until that point. So you go back and get in the, you know, the, the station wagon chariot and drive home and get in a cuss out fight with your wife. You don't sin again. Now we got, you got to, you know, it's, there's, we got to, we got to have another sacrifice now. Are you, are you seeing this? Okay. So Jesus, his blood took sin away. Okay. One translation says, put it away. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, it's more than just a cool lyric in a song or a poem. There's a north pole and a south pole, but there is no east pole and west pole. Because the further you travel west, the further the furthest point east becomes, right? So he's literally saying it's, it's infinity. He's literally saying when he removes sin from you as far as the east is from the west, he's saying it's sin that will never be held against you ever again. It'll never, it'll never be a factor in your uh, relationship and fellowship with God ever again. Praise God. All right. So let's look at it. Um, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Thank you, Jesus. There's a lot of that I'm wanting you to see tonight, but I guess one of the key things, and this may be the simplest, most basic thing, is that I'm, I'm wanting you to see that there's a lot of Scripture to support, you know, what we're saying about these things. It'd be very easy for me to give you a list of five things. Just the completed work of Jesus and, you know, now, isn't that cool? Okay, let's go eat a hot dog. But, you know, we start digging into this for hours at a time, okay? This is class five on understanding the new birth. And, you know, roughly, let's just, hour and a half. I mean, so, you know, what is that? We're knocking on seven hours of teaching from the Scriptures, and, and we, we're not even halfway through it. I mean, I, there's, I mean we, could, we could spend days just on the Old Testament prophecies about the salvation that was promised and was going to come one day that we now uh, have and are enjoying and experiencing. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And God has a lot to say about it. And listen to me now, it's not enough for us just to hear these things. We've got to begin to see ourselves as someone who has been redeemed. We've got to see ourselves as someone who has been justified. The more you see yourself as someone who is right with God in the eyes of God, that you are just as right before God as Jesus is right before God. See, Satan always wants us to drag around the guilt and the shame and the mistakes of the past. And it's sad to me, but so many of God's children are far more sin conscious than they are righteousness conscious. Meaning what? They are far more aware of the sinner they were than they are aware of the righteousness that they have been made. And it affects us. In little ways, in big ways, and in in-between ways. When you really begin to see yourself as someone who is right with God in the eyes of God, as someone that God doesn't see as a sinner or as a forgiven sinner, but as one who never sinned, you have that standing with Him. See, as, as we begin to embrace that, as we begin to see ourselves the way he sees us. This is we're, we're skipping over now into the whole idea of renewing of the mind. 
and how we look at things and how we see things. But remember what repentance is. Repent means to see things in a different light, to see things in a way that you've never seen them before, to think differently about things than you've ever thought about them. It's a new condition of mind, a new way of looking at things. So you can be born again and be made right with God, but still see yourself as someone who is a sinner and still think of yourself as a sinner and never consider yourself to be right with God in the eyes of God. And you will continue to live like someone who is not right with God in the eyes of God, even though you are. Because your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true about yourself isn't the truth. What's the truth? The truth is you're just as free as Jesus. And not because, you know, somebody said abracadabra over you or because you, you know, you prayed the right prayer uh, and, and, and the magic words. It's true about you because Jesus paid the high price that was required to make that true about you. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Um, when I watched the, uh, the Passion of the Christ... And there was a lot of parts in that, in that movie that really touched me and gripped me. But I think even more than his crucifixion was when he was beaten with a whip. And I had somebody tell me, they said, you know, I, I don't think it was that bad. I'm like, it, it was ten times worse than that. Um, the, the Romans were skilled at... at beating a man as close to death as possible without killing him and the gruesomeness of that. But as I'm sitting there watching that, I'm just trying not to disturb everybody in the theater around me crying so hard. The Holy Spirit says this to me, very simply says this to me. He says, and I can't even get most of my ministers to preach healing. <laughs> can't even... I mean, Jesus beaten till his organs are hanging out of his body so that our bodies could be healed. And, and, and some very popular, well-known ministers say that it's not even for today. See, listen to me now. If it meant so much for him to pay the price that he paid so that you could have these things, the least that we can do. Are you hearing me? The least that we can do. Just accept them and say, thank you. And whatever it is that you're trying to produce in me, Jesus, I'm saying yes to it. And if you say I'm righteous, the best advice I could ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with him quickly. And if you say I'm free from sin, if it, even if it doesn't look sin or feel like I'm free from sin, if you say I'm free from sin, I'm free from sin. If you say I'm right with, with you, then I'm right with you. And that's what I'm going to say. And I'm going to keep saying it because that's what you say. And I'm going to agree with you. So the, these are not just, and I, I'm not trying to be cute or funny when I say these are not just lines of a song or whatever, because that's where most people have heard these words. They, 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 you know, as far as the East is from the West in some contemporary Christian song, you know, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, we sing that when we was in Sunday school as kids. You know? So we've, we've heard these words more in hymns and on Christian radio and in Christian music, if we've heard them at all. Maybe you've read them in the Scriptures, but even then have we... Pause to think about it, right? Have we ever considered, okay, if I've been justified, what does it mean to be justified? All right, so Romans 3. This is one of the best places to go to learn about being justified. Now, verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, and now the law being the commandments, it says to those who are under the law, 
that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, we, we could spend a great deal of time right here. It, it, we're going to spend a little time for you to understand what he's saying. But we could spend a lot of time here. And what, what we see from scriptures, and, and really, most clearly, we see it in the book of Romans is that when God gave the commandments to His people through Moses, it was not to stop them from sinning. A lot of people don't get that. They think very shallow when it comes to, to this aspect of the Scriptures. Um, last time I checked, it's illegal to murder somebody in the United States of America. I'm so glad they passed that law so nobody ever gets murdered again. See, again, the idea that you can somehow legislate or pass a law to stop behavior is ridiculous. But it's, it's even more than that because what God knew is that when He gave those commandments to His people that it was not only not going to stop them from sinning, it was going to increase their sinning. It was actually going to make them sin more, not less. And some people scratch their heads and say, well, Pastor Mark, the Scriptures say that. Again, we could spend a lot of time here. It's a chapter in the book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, where we talk about this in great detail. Why would God do such a thing then if it wasn't going to stop sin but only increase sin? It's because He was trying to bring us to the conclusion that the only way we would ever be free from sin is if we turn to Him and allow Him to make us free from sin. That we can't do it ourselves. We, we, can't, we can't make ourselves right. And this is what He's saying. He's saying, therefore, by the deeds of law, no flesh will be just as if I'd never sinned in the sight of God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law revealed to us just how sinful we, we actually are. When we look at those Ten Commandments, and, and I think it's of no coincidence that the Apostle Paul pointed out in chapter 7 the sin of covetousness. Covetousness is when you want what somebody else has got. Now it's one thing to say, you know what, I'm not going to tell a lie. And it's another thing to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to um, uh, steal. All of those things are things, for lack of a better word, behavior outside of us. Coveting, though, on the other hand, that's, that's something in the heart, right? Now obviously murder and lying, all that stuff Jesus explained to us, it's not what goes in a man, it's what comes out of a man that defiles him. And those things start inwardly and manifest outwardly, right? But I think that was the one, because remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul knew those commandments, and he understood every one of them, and he had really disciplined himself to try to live by them, right? But I think it was the, it was the covetousness. That was the one that, you know, it was like, okay, I can do all these other things, but what is it that's in me that makes me want what somebody else has got? That's... That's, there's something there that discipline can't, can't fix, right? Because the heart wants what it wants, <laughs> you know? So you can say, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. But then next time your neighbor gets some, you know, something new, it's like, 
well, one of those, just, and over and over again, right? So what we see through the Apostle Paul is that the law actually awakens within us sinful desire. When God said, don't do it, it made us want to do it more. When God said, don't do it, a lot of people said, man, I never even thought of doing that. Well, I think I'm going to do it right now. What's he trying to do? He's trying to show us that there's something in us, right? We've been born of a corrupted seed. There's something broken. It's something that goes deeper than our behavior. It's something that goes deeper than our thinking. There's something flawed inwardly in us that only God can fix. And so when God gave the law, it was to expedite. It, it, was, to, it was to hurry us and mankind to the conclusion, right? That without God, we're, we're hopeless. We, there's nothing we can do to fix this ourselves. All right, let's keep going now. Verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? So, he's establishing something in verse 21 that is so critically important. He's introducing to... Uh, I say introducing, that's, that's an exaggeration because we have it prophesied and, and so forth and so on. But what it's so clearly and precisely stated here. That's a better way for me to say that. But now the righteousness of God, of God apart from the law is revealed. What does that mean? It means that the only way leading up to where we are now, the only way for a man or woman to be righteous was through obeying the law. If you obeyed the law and were right, you were blessed. If you broke the law, uh, you were cursed. And remember now, you don't get partial credit. See, that's, that's where people who... You know, it's like, well, you know, I mean, I still do some things wrong, but I, you know, I mean, I, I didn't kill nobody. I just, we, 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 we try to, you know, pretend like whatever sin or issues we have aren't that big a deal because other people have bigger issues than we have, and this somehow makes us better than them. No, the Bible's very clear. If you break one of the 600 plus commandments, you might as well have broken them all. See, there's a, see, even me saying that, the people, there are people, some people listen to me like, well, you know, it just don't make sense to me. Well, you need, it needs to make sense to you because this is how God looks at this. So he's introducing something new to us. If we were to go, and we're not going to do this, but if we were to go all the way back to the first chapter, Romans 1, okay, we would see something like this. But now the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Okay, And he's not talking about the wrath of God like, you know, lightning bolts and these kind of things that people often think of God throwing a, a temper tantrum or, or anger, boil over, whatever. This word wrath is a, is a very unique word. It's, it's great desire coupled with tremendous uh, grief or disappointment. And so the idea that, that we have in these first... Um, you know, three and a half chapters in the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul answering a question. 
And the question is this, what happened? And I like to try to illustrate it this way, okay? And I do it with my hands. He's saying, listen, guys, we were supposed to be living up here. And we're now living way down here. And you know what the world calls living way down here? Normal. But living way down here is not normal. Because God created us to live way up here. So how do we go from living way up here to living way down here? What had happened was this. And so he's explaining to us what happened. And he's explaining to us the great disappointment that God has. And I've, I've explained it this way before. And I think it's, it actually got this from Timothy Keller. And I think it's brilliant. All right. He uses the example that if you go to buy a diamond before the jeweler ever brings the diamond out of the case, he or she may first pull out a black velvet cloth and lay it on top of that case and then put the diamond on top of it. Because when you put the diamond on the black velvet, it makes the diamond pop, right? And so from Romans chapter 1 to uh, basically um, chapter 3 verse 21 is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul putting that black velvet on the counter. He's, he's explaining to us our problem. He's explaining to us the, the issues that we have. And then we have this beautiful, glorious turning point moment when he says, but now. Okay? Remember those words because that's important. The devil never wants you to establish a but now in your life. You see, that was then. Come on, say it with me now. But this is now. The devil never wants there to be that kind of definitive uh, uh, separation in your life. The, the enemy is hoping that you continue to allow the past to bleed through into and forward into your future. Okay? So we, we have to at some point draw that line in the sand, and I call it a but now line. That was then, but this is now. I've got a whole list of them. It'll probably be a week or two. I, this was one of the things that I really felt impressed the Holy Spirit that we need to get to this year. And so I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but here's another class, one of my favorite but nows. Ephesians 5 and 8. You were once darkness, period. But now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. What is he saying? He's saying you were once this, but now you're this. And because this is who you are now, you have the wherewithal to go live not like somebody in darkness, but somebody in light. You were once dark. He didn't say you were in darkness. He said you were darkness. There's a difference between being in darkness and being darkness, right? We were darkness, but we are not darkness any longer. We are now light. And because we are light in the Lord, we have the ability to go forth into the world and shine as lights for our Savior. See, if you, if you, never, if you never have that, that full stop, right? Period, full stop. I was once this, and now I'm this, but now, okay? So those, you know, two, three-letter words, B-U-T-N-O-W, powerful words, powerful words. So he's saying, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Remember, the wrath of God from heaven is what was revealed in Romans 1. Now the, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. This is like new stuff for the average Jewish you know, practicer of Judaism, right? Because the only concept or understanding they had of how a man or woman could be right with God was through the law. But now the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is saying that there is a way of being right with God apart from the law. And he says that this is 
something that was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Meaning what? Meaning this is not some new strange doctrine, but this is something that has been talked about in the Old Testament, but has now been fulfilled and realized in Jesus. He says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh man, come on, is that, is that you? That's me, is that you? Amen. Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is speaking of God's highest and best for mankind. Or we could say it this way, living way up here. Let me get that back on the screen, right, for those of you watching on. Up here, this is God's highest and best for you. Instead of living here, we were living here. We all fell short of God's highest and best. Okay? But now... If you notice, though, verse 23 begins with a comma. It's sad to me that, that most people who know this verse only know through verse three, chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth, let's go ahead and hit the trifecta. Whom God set forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Forbearance, right? Talking about all them folks that sinned before Jesus ever came here. Okay? So that he might do what? Verse 26. To demonstrate. At the present time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Oh, it just stirs me up, man. Mm-mm-mm. So let's talk about this in verse 26, that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And he's talking about demonstrating at the present time his righteousness. There's a lot going on here, but let's, let's at least touch on this for a minute. To demonstrate his righteousness. Now remember, whose righteousness have we, have we been given? We've been given the righteousness of God himself in Christ Jesus. Okay? So notice now the dilemma, though, that God is in. The dilemma that he's in is how do I remain righteous and demonstrate for all of us that he is a righteous or a just God and at the same time be the one who justifies you and me? I mean, again, he can't sweep it under the rug. Our sin created a debt that had to be paid. Our sin... Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? So for God to just look the other way, for a judge to look the other way, I'm talking about like a physical judge sitting on the bench, you know. I mean, you know, somebody's, you know, uh, what is it? I don't know. Um, you know somebody, uh, home invasion, whatever, you know, goes in and steals everything from somebody's house. And, you know, it turns out it was the judge's favorite nephew. And so he just looked the other way. He's not being just. I understand he loves his nephew, but, you know, there, there's damages incurred here. There's some, there's some punishment that needs to, right? So, so how, how is God going to, watch this now, demonstrate to you and me that he's a just God, okay? <laughs> and be the one who justifies you and me. And so 
that's what he's talking about. It was Jesus. He turned the wrath on himself. Jesus afforded Father the ability to demonstrate his righteousness, be just, and justify you and me. Here's one of my favorite quotes along these lines from Timothy Keller, and I'm just paraphrasing, but I'm also giving him credit. He asked the question, he says, a weak swimmer, an average swimmer, and a world-class champion swimmer all leave from California to swim to Hawaii. All right? What's going to happen? They're all going to drown. Because no matter how weak or how strong a swimmer can't swim from California to Hawaii. Okay? Now, a devout Jew, a very moral Gentile, and an absolute heathen all leave California to swim to Hawaii. Are you getting the point? See, we have this tendency to think that just because somebody's very devout or very religious or very disciplined or a, or a really good person, that, that no more enables them to be right with God in the eyes of God than it enables a, a world-class swimmer to swim from California to Hawaii. It can't, it can't be done. Okay? All right, let's keep going here. Romans chapter 5. We're talking about justification. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Oh, man, I'm telling you, it's a good one, isn't it? So Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a really big therefore in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore could be translated based upon what you just read, based upon what has just been established for you based upon what was just presented to you in light of the things that were... And for that matter, you, because it's a thread that runs all the way through, you could, you could reverse that thread all the way back to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Okay? But most directly, the connection is with chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we have Abraham as our case study... And the Bible asks a couple of questions. One very important question. What has Abraham learned about the works of the law? Or what has he learned about works? And what Abraham learned was that if it's based upon works, it completely removes you from grace. Because it can't be a free gift and a debt owed. So if you work all week and your employer pays you on Friday, you may say thank you and you should, but it wasn't a gift. They were paying you what you earned. They were paying you, they were compensating you for what you deserved, what you had already agreed to. And you were being nice to let them accumulate five days of owing you and then paying you on Friday or once a month or whatever the case is. And so what he's using in Romans 4 to explain to us is that if we're going to stay under that law-based system, 
to where we are trying to put God in our debt because of how good we've been lately, are you seeing this? Then it can't be of grace. So he's taken us out of a performance-based system where you know he he rewards us based upon how good we've been and how how you know obedient we've been to now into a faith-based system. And so he says in Romans 4 that it's now of faith so that it might be of grace. Grace is when God gives you what you do not deserve, what you did not earn and cannot earn. And that's what we mean when we say that God has always wanted to treat you like your sin never happened. That, that God has always wanted to be able to give you what He desires to give to you rather than what you deserve. And what I've learned about God, and this, I would encourage you to really grab hold of this, okay? Quit trying to put God in your debt. Quit trying to make Him owe you something. Quit, quit basing even your faith, because it's not faith at all, on what you think you deserve because of how good you've been the last six weeks of your life, or, or whatever the case may be. And, and, we, and we see people, they don't mean it, or maybe they just don't understand it. Maybe they're doing it out of ignorance, right? But you even hear people who become very disappointed and even angry with God because they'll talk about how many years somebody taught Sunday school, or they'll talk about this or that, and we had people praying in 17 states and three countries and 49 denominations and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, because the idea is that we think because we've had so many people praying and so many people done so many good things, blah, 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 that now God owes them a miracle. And so what you don't understand is you can't have it both ways. You don't want it both ways. You do not want what you can earn or make God owe you because you were in debt up to your eyeballs and could never pay off what you owed, much less ever get in to the, the, the Him owing you. You see what I'm saying? So we don't even, we, it's, it's amazing to me that we, we, we fight so hard to hold on to that system. And of course, I have my theories on why that is. It's control, right? We want something we can control. We want to be able to hit the gas when we, you know, need to pour it on so God can do for us. And anyway, don't get me started on that whole subject, right? So he, he spends chapter 4 explaining all that. And that's when we come to the very important therefore, in light of what you just learned in chapter 4 and beyond, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace being the absence of conflict. Peace being harmony with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's skip down verse 17, same chapter, Romans 5 and 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's speaking of the first Adam, right? We were all born of his corrupted seed. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We've been justified. Amen? I've been justified. Here is, I don't know, i got a lot of favorite verses. Here's one of my favorite justification verses, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. 
Jesus knew no sin. The first he is Father God. So for he, Father God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. He became a curse for us. He became financially impoverished for us. 2 Corinthians 8. Though he was wealthy, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become financially wealthy. Look up the words. People try to say that's speaking of spiritual poverty. No, it's not. Look up the words in the original language. Well, I thought, I thought Jesus, you know, was, was just a broke vagabond. Man, don't get me started on that, please. <laughs> he was given ten lifetimes of wealth at his birth by kings who traveled years to find him. You ever heard of an endowment? Colleges have endowments. What does that mean? Hundreds of millions of dollars and the interest off of the principal helps fund the college. It's an endowment. Jesus was presented with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh at his birth. When he called his first disciples, he invited them to his home. This idea that Jesus wandered around like a homeless beggar. He sacrificed all of that. How about this? How about this? How wealthy do you have to be to cover the expenses of a whole group of people traveling with you? Still have money to help other people in need with a thief keeping the account. Watch this. How often would you have had to have sent, that's a too, too many words, my, uh, my grammar check would probably flag that one if I was typing right now, but how many times would you have to send Judas to go help somebody with a financial need so that every time Judas got up and left, everybody else in the room assumed that he was going to pay somebody else's power bill. How, how many times would that have to happen before you just assumed every time Peter, I mean, every time Judas got up and left, it was to go pay somebody's bill that Jesus was helping financially? But that's exactly what happened at the, right before they had the Passover meal. Judas got offended because he had gotten called out by Jesus, and he gets up and stomps out. And the rest of the men in the room thought that he was going to help somebody financially because he was in charge of the money. Are you following what I'm saying here? How, how much? Are you, are you picking up? Are you seeing what I'm saying here? This idea of Jesus wandering around, you know. He's, but Pastor Mark, he said the birds of the air have nests. The sun. It's because he chose to sacrifice himself that way. He had, in addition to the endowment he was given at his birth, he had other people who sowed into his ministry financially. Read the Bible. How about this? How about this, right? This lavish gift poured out on him. And everybody around him says, Oh, oh that should have been sold and given to the poor. 
Because it was probably that woman's retirement, her savings. And they're like, by the way, remember now, if, if you've ever been guilty, ask the Lord to forgive you. If you've ever been guilty of saying that should have been sold and given to the poor, let me remind you, you're quoting Judas. <laughs> right? Oh, you just put yourself in really good company. That was what Judas said. Jesus said, don't you rebuke her. She's done a good thing for me. How, how about here? One, one more, okay. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty nice shirt. I got it, got it a while back, okay. But it's got a lot of seams in it. The robe that Jesus wore was some of the finest clothing that money could buy. The soldiers gambled for it because it was a garment without seam. It had, it had no seam in it. They're like, whoa, man, don't you, whoa, hold on a second. I'm going to get that, right? They're they rolling dice for it. Does that sound like a homeless vagabond beggar to you? Wearing that kind of clothing? But see here, what's the point? We don't understand this. We don't, we got to understand this. He had wealth. He became poor. So that you in your poverty could have wealth. Can't believe you're preaching that, Pastor Mark. Well, it's the same way of him being righteous without sin, but becoming sin for you so that you could become His righteousness. What if you never believe that He made you righteous? Doesn't change the fact that He did. But are you going to benefit in your life reality, in, in the way you experience life, in the way you express life, if you still see yourself as a sinner instead of the righteousness that He made you? So, you know, it's when, it's when you embrace that, when you begin to realize that, when you begin to accept that, when you begin to look at yourself and life and your place in this world as someone that God set His love upon, put His glory in, a treasure in an earthen vessel, has given right standing with Himself, a direct line of communication to come boldly to the throne of grace. You're touching heaven and earth at the same time. Somebody that God said you can lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. See, if you, if, if you begin to see yourself this way, this is when you begin to express these inward realities of the new birth. Amen. Who benefits if the church is broke? Who benefits if God's people don't have enough money to, to preach the gospel around the world? God doesn't benefit. So reckon who it is that the devil's tried to ever keep from understanding that Jesus was rich and became poor so that you could become rich in the same way, in the same way that he became sin. So that you could become righteous. Amen. It's called the gospel. It's good news. You know, Pastor Mark, a few weeks ago, he challenged us to read uh, Romans 5 every night that week. And, uh, and I did, I loved it. And I can't even read Romans 5 now. I, when I say sin, when I read sin or evil, sin nature automatically comes in. And it's been real enlightening to be able to talk back to flesh and go, no, that's just your nature that wants to do that. We're not doing that. Not doing it. You know, so. it's, not, it's not who we are. It wasn't as easy on the next one 
That one, I wouldn't get distracted because I'd look up one and then. Amen. Then I'd look it up. But so next time, so we're enduring, right? We're enduring sound doctrine. Praise God. Y'all with me? No, that's what the Bible says. Right? It says in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine. Yeah, I told you, Misty, I was going to See, I think it's one of the strategies that the devil's using against us today is that people have the attention span of a gnat. I mean, really? Really? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hammer the younger generation, but it's, it, again, the younger generation is so used to, um, that's why I like, what is it, TikTok and shorts and that sort of thing. We just sit there and watch 100 videos in 10 minutes, you know. And, and so if we're going to learn the things that we need to know from God, it requires, you know, some focus and some effort. Uh, it, you know, I know some of you weren't here when we talked about this, but these classes are about a lot of things. And one of these, one of the reasons that this class is in the time frame that it, in other words, it used to be a two-hour class. Then it went to an hour and forty-five minutes, and now it's an hour and thirty-five minutes. Okay, but still, um, the idea behind that is is to is for, for us to be stretched, right? And there's a lot of people. I tell folks when they first start the class, I'm look now. If you're not used to being in a class this long, it, you know, you might start squirming after about 20 minutes in and 40 minutes like, is he ever going to stop, you know? But how many of you now, you've, you've increased your endurance. You, you, can, you can sit still. You can focus. You can, you, can, you know. Uh, stay away. Stay away. <laughs> exactly, right? So if we, if we were to say, uh, all right, everybody fold up your Bibles. We're going to go run a mile. Only some of you in here could do it. Others, like, not me, okay? Because in order to run the mile, you have to build up your endurance, right? If we were to say, fold up your stuff, let's go to the sanctuary, we're going to pray for an hour. Some of you could do it. Some of you pray about everything and everybody you know and ever have known and look at your watch and five minutes just passed, right? Okay? So, but you can stretch yourself, right? You can build up. Your, your endurance, just like you can build up physical endurance, you can build up mental endurance, you can build up by your endurance, by your perseverance, possess you, your souls, you can build up uh, emotional endurance, all of, all of these things, right? Yes. Um, and so to, to know what God wants us to know and needs us to know, it requires some effort and some endurance on our part. Yes. Amen. All right. Out of time. Reconciliation is the fourth one. Reconciliation means to be reestablish, to reestablish rather a close relationship between, to reestablish a close relationship between. So let's say that a husband and wife uh, had some issues in their marriage, and they separated, and sought God and sought godly counsel and resolved their differences and learned how to better communicate, and they were reconciled. Okay, meaning what? Meaning. A relationship that had been established has now been reestablished. So reconciliation is to reestablish a close relationship between. Now this throws a lot of people. It threw me when I first began to look at this. I'm like, well, well, Father, you know, this sounds like somebody who has backslidden or somebody's gotten away from you and come back. How how is it reestablished for when somebody comes to you for the first time? And he says the reestablishing of the cl- of the close relationship is the one that I originally had. 
with Adam and Eve before they sinned. Reestablishing a close relationship between. This is reconciliation. Now, we will talk in great detail about it next class, okay? But I do want you to see it before we go because I want you to think about some of these things, okay? Notice how the propitiation makes way for the redemption. The redemption makes way for the justification. But what Father is really interested in is the reconciliation. But reconciliation is not possible without justification. Justification is not possible without redemption. Redemption is not possible without propitiation. So that's what we mean by the four levels. By the four levels. Because what Father God has done for you for His sake and for yours, but for His sake, is made it possible to be one with you again. He created us to be one with Him. We went our own way. We did our own thing. We all, like sheep, the Bible says, have gone astray. And He laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all to make a way for us to be reconciled with Him once again. Amen. All right. Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you're building into our lives. Things, Father, that you are imparting into us that cannot be taken from us. Father, I thank you that your word sown in our hearts, Lord, this evening will produce 30, 60, 100-fold results. Father, that it will not be choked out, that it will that'll, it'll establish roots, it will not be stolen. And Lord, I thank you that you're equipping us to walk closely with you, but also, Father, to be very effective in representing you and shining as lights in this world. Father, thank you for uh, every person that's uh, participated in this class tonight. And then also, Father, I thank you in advance for all the men and women that these men and women are going to impact in some positive way for your glory. Father, help us. I'm going to say amen just a minute. Look at me here for just a second, okay? One, one of the things that I'm, I'm convinced of when we talk about standing before God and, and being rewarded by Him one day, um, I've, I've preached this for years in the book that I recently finished on Imagine Heaven. There were people who went to heaven and came back and, and they confirmed. And I think that's a lot of reasons why that book really touched me. But one is I've said for years that I believe what it'll all come down to when we're judged based upon what we did with what we were given is how well did we love? How well did we love? And then, then on top of that then, from a heart of love, what did we do by way of helping other people in life? And, and then specifically, how did we serve other people to help them develop, Right? We're all developing, right? We're all growing. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We are growing up into Jesus in all things, okay? And so what, what are we doing? What have we done? What are we doing? What will we do to help other people develop into the men and women that God created them to be? Amen. These are going to be the things that matter one day in heaven. One man was talking about it. I shared this in a, in a sermon on Sunday a few weeks back, but... One man was talking about all these things that was playing. They called it a life review. We say our lives flash before our eyes, right? And he was talking about all these things that, and it was sad things and stuff that, man, it's like, thank God, God gave him another chance, right? Um, 
but when it passed the part in his life where he had won some big award at work, some international recognition award, he said, whoa, 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 God, you left out that part. He said, we're not here to talk about that right now. Because in eternity, that kind of stuff's not what matters. What matters is who do, who, who do we give a cup of water to? Who, do, who did we? Because you realize that if you give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, he said, it'll not go without a reward. So what, how, did you, how did you help? How did you serve somebody else? Amen. All right. Amen on the prayer. Amen on the class. Thank you for being here. Thank you guys for being here online. You be blessed. Be somewhere celebrating your resurrection this Sunday. Amen. Um, we'll, we'll be together in spirit, uh, as, uh, even if you're not here at Heritage. And, uh, but happy Resurrection Day this Sunday, and good things coming.